Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. In the middle of June comes our Pride Special 2022, with special guest star Chloe Maviel joining Graham McMillan and I to answer questions, dispense wisdom, and talk about Swimming in Blood, the genre-tweaking first appearance of Devil and Wah by John Smith and Sean Phillips. Come for the laughs, stay for the old straight guy confusion in this two-hour and 15-minute episode just about ready to start happening in your ears this very minute. We welcome your comments at waywhatpodcast.com, your questions at waywhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Why, Graham McMillan, hello. Hello, I love how you think that was me. Wait, Chloe, when, are, oh right, Chloe, you're on there too, hello. How are you? Oh wow, that was great. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a cat. And just to say to say hello as well. Oh well, that's good. That's good. It's it's truly it's it's uh, we're moving into a a mega podcasting crossover just just among ourselves. It's very it, very exciting. It, let me tell you, Jeff Lester. Uh, currently, there's me and Chloe in here, uh, plus Gus, plus two cats. Good. So Grief. There's, there's, there's a lot of, of uh, sure. I was gonna say mouths to be. The fun thing to say. <laughs> That is what pets call love, so I think yeah, I yeah. think you'll be okay. Is, is their definition of that? Hello. Yeah. Well, hello, hello. My goodness. Well, it's a podcast and it's happening. Is what I've been told. <laughs> wow, Jeff, we're the ones who've had the absolutely wacky week, and you're the one who's like, it's a podcast. We're doing something and talking. I I I just I was like, this seems like a no brainer that you guys will want to skip. And so I was like, huh? And then for the last 28 hours, it's been radio silence. And you're like, we're doing this thing. And I'm like, okay, all oh, right. Sorry. Well, this will. I, 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 thought that, I thought that I'd given the impression that we were, in fact, doing it. Uh, and then uh, it was only when I sat down, you know, just like 10 minutes ago that I realized you'd more or less been like, do you want to skip? Which is yeah. why I said, I being like, oh, we're doing it. So yeah. Yeah. I, no. I, I, it would be fair to say that I've not really been incredibly online for the last day or so. Pretty, yeah, pretty safely so. Um, gosh, well, I mean, I, where to start? We've we've got we've got the delight that is Chloe Maviel back on the podcast. Hello, Chloe. Hello, I'm talking to you this hey. time. Hey, how uh, you doing? I, I, how, I, I, yeah, all things considered, uh, you guys. <laughs> See, this is it. I'm like, how are you doing? Like, you got to be in like tough shape, and I'm, I don't know if you want to address that on the podcast briefly before we move on or we ran into the problem of it only being two saturdays until the end of pride month and i told graham that if he didn't have me on it was homophobia (laughs) so oh wow oh (laughs) no here's the thing yes she does Let, let me also point out that like if I don't offer to make her tea, that's also homophobia. That's that's like the, that's during like the, the entire week. month or just always. No, well, I mean always, but especially during the entire month. Oh, I see. Uh, I feel I feel inspired now. Oh, oh no! <laughs> Welcome to the sound of someone who has just made life a lot more difficult for themselves. Um, I mean, to to get to what you're asking, Jeff. Yeah, it's been a really really shitty week for us. Uh, 
for reasons that honestly I don't really want to talk about. Like a lot of personal stuff has been happening for both of us this yeah. week, and it's it's been it's been really rough. And like the one thing that we did talk about, or, uh, at least I mentioned on Twitter, and I don't you, know did. you did. I was very enigmatic um, about everything. Was that we had to put one of our dogs down yesterday? Um, very suddenly, it, we were. Uh, not really expecting to have to do that. Yes. Yeah. So yesterday, for, for to give, I think I've already given you the timeline, but to give the listeners the timeline, um, he went in for dental surgery on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and we were told basically like everything went well. He's great. He's going to recover. He might be a bit groggy tomorrow, but he'll be fine on Thursday. And he wasn't back very groggy on Wednesday, but also spent basically like seven hours vomiting. Mm. Uh, and then by the time, oh, and crying as well, crying and vomiting for seven hours, which was a joy. Oh. And then on Thursday was not only not eating or drinking, but also just couldn't, couldn't stand up. Couldn't stand up. And oh, so we boy. took him to the vet, and the vet was like, "Yes, that is a problem. Like we'll keep him under observation. We'll give him fluids." And midway through Thursday, said, "Actually, we have to check him into hospital because he's not responding to anything." Mm-hmm. And so I checked him into the hospital on Thursday afternoon and six o'clock on Friday morning, I got a phone call that was basically like, he's getting worse. Oh, we have to make this happen. Like, like you Can ha- you be here in an hour? Yeah. Like you, you know, we have to have a decision um, as to what you want to do. And I did the thing that I, I do very often with vets, which is if this was your animal, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And they were like, to be honest, like euthanasia is probably the the, the kindest, smartest option at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, what started as he's going to get his teeth out and that will be funny, haha, because he will be a little bit more gummy. Right. Um, went horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. And oh. so, and so, yeah, that, that was a, that was a, a, a shitty shitty part of the week but you know like i said not the only shitty part of the week it's just the, it's all, the shitty part all, that we're willing to talk about all of the other uh i would say equally shitty things were all happening at the same time as this mm-hmm. so yeah we we had, we had a, a pile up of of just genuinely um rough week and yet somehow we still want to do a podcast like you said i i, I know you thought that we'd want to skip it but um this is kind of also going to be a venting thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like we'll get to be silly. Right. Uh, and we'll get to think about things that aren't this sad, shitty things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, you know, is important. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Also, I've got to be honest. We spent part of today watching everything everywhere all at once. Oh my God. Which, which neither of us had seen before. Damn it. Uh, I, we almost we would have watched it last night if it hadn't been like the worst day ever work wise, and I was just I I literally kind of both Edie and I shambled around like zombies last night. So, but uh, well, let's tell you that both of us cried. Oh, yeah, uh, here's, here's it, it, it was genuinely like an emotional release. Like for both if of us. if you're having if you're going through a rough time, mm-hmm. it is both the best and worst movie to watch. Mm. And it and like in in a way that is overall very positive. Like I say, good and it's a good and bad thing to watch. Uh, parentheses positive. Like, <laughs> like it, it, what what I liked about the film, I'm like you know I'm not going to say too much because I really want you to watch it, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it's very much a film that I think for almost everyone who's going to watch it is going to make them think about a lot of stuff in their life. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and is a one of the more intelligent uses of multiverse stuff that I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. But B ends in such a place that uh, I can only describe as like emotionally fulfilling. Mm-hmm. You know, and because it has been so rough for both of us, like I'm not joking when I say that like the two of us looked at each other with both the tears in our eyes. We're just like, oh, thank God. But also, man. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, that's so uh, a genuine, man, yeah. I know you've had a shit week as well, mm-hmm. so I like I do recommend it if you've got time to watch it tomorrow. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping. We'll 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 see how it comes together. It might actually be Monday before we crack down on it, but but in theory that is okay. Like I am on vacation uh, as of today. Super. Yeah, congratulations! Thank you. Happy to. Thank you, thank you, and uh, Edie is as well. So, um, so we were both kind of like this morning. We got up. It was like, ah, I'm awake at the ungodly hour of six thirty. But we don't have to jump out of bed. We don't have to do this. We just had like just the most mellow morning, which was fabulous. But yeah, but there's also some weird stuff that have piled up that between podcast editing and we're actually i think i told you we're going to go see uh our friend's son is in a musical so you know we're going to be seeing a musical tomorrow night which seems odd and strange yeah strange can i ask what musical chicago yes right (laughs) which i mean there we'll see how things go i mean that's the thing they're they're talented actors, but you, it doesn't matter how talented you are when you're like 17 years old and you're trying to play like, I don't know, you know, a miserable husband in his like early 40s or something. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't it's know. Fish. And I'm so excited for you. <laughs> like, I'm so excited for you. Community theater done by teens is the best thing that has ever happened. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh dear. Yeah, I I suppose you're right. Hey, I okay. So, I've got a couple of questions uh since it's Pride Month for our 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 gay correspondent. But before and we actually have a book to talk about that God help us if it ties in. But um um before I get there, I wanted to ask you guys, have you have you ever seen Dead Again? The name sounds really... Wait, Dead Again? The the Kenneth Branagh film? Yes, that's it! The Kenneth Branagh flick from, like, 1991. Is Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson, or am I making that up? Yeah, no, no, because they were, you know, they were a couple before, you know, that Minx, uh, Helena Bonham Carter sashayed onto the scene, you know. Um, It feels... Wait, hang on. I, I genuinely also did not know that Kenneth Branagh and Helena Bonham Carter were a thing. I'm, I'm sorry for not keeping up with the life of Kenneth Branagh, as, as I think everyone should, should be. He still hasn't forgiven him for Belfast, really. So Belfast is so bad, and you, you made me watch it going, hey, maybe it's going to be good. I, it makes sense. It was, like, nominated for, like, best picture. Nothing. Have you seen it? No. I heard it was Belfast sh- is so bad. It's ass. Like straight up, it's just it's just yeah. a nightmare. Take the take the fancy Instagram filter off of it, and it's just a fucking just another 
You say find the Instagram filter. That just means shooting something in black and white. Yeah, I said what I said. It's so bad. <laughs> Belfast is really not a good film. It is a, a really bad, like, you know, BBC mid-afternoon drama. Yeah. Like from 1992 <laughs> that, that just people think is fancier because it's got Judy Dench in it. It's really bad. That part's mm. fancy. Also, uh, what's this Kieran thing? Hines, yeah, you love, yeah. I, I do love Kieran Hines. I th- I don't, wait, okay, anyway. but I have to ask, why are you asking about Dead Again? Well, uh, there's actually there's actually several uh, reasons. Weirdly, synchronicity. Like it came up today in like one of these like online, you know, name this movie and ten guesses games what? or whatever. Um, but again, but I mean, the, yeah. who has been thinking about that film? But okay. But the day before, I started thinking of it, and I was because I have to admit, there like it's not often that it's Pride Month, and we have you know our special queer correspondent on air, and so I was trying to think of various import the important essential uh, uh, things that um straight and cis people should know during pride and one of them was dead again yeah is it camp or is it shit or i mean is it is there i don't know like i'm i'm really genuinely like i obviously don't remember dead again at all okay so dead again dead again is kind of like if the hackiest screenplay writer ever, and I mean like the sort of person who makes Joe Esterhouse look like Akira Kurosawa, had been hired to write, rewrite Vertigo, and then you got James Whale to direct it. Maybe, I think. I mean, you make it sound good. I'd like to point out that it was actually written by Scott Frank, who, unless I'm totally misremembering... Uh, out of sight and maybe Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, yeah. Years later, when he sort of got good, but no, believe me, it's it. Dead again is. Well, I mean, admittedly, it's. I don't even know why I'm like no, no. Believe me, it's like Vertigo, but shit. But no, I mean, like it's it really is amazingly so unsubtle, um, like bombastically so that. For years, I just thought it was just really, really, really bad. And then at a certain point, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe maybe it is camp. Maybe it's camp. Like, you know, like, I don't know, you know. But I don't I'm know like, the, right? like there's, there's camp as an actual, like, definition of what camp is, which also changes depending on where you're from. I seem to remember you two had a very different we, definition of camp yeah. last time we talked about it. But this. then there's also, like... Uh, Honestly, I think what you consider camp comes down to, like, do you have good bad taste or bad bad taste? Well, I mean, but that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Is it is it intentionally bad or is it just bad? Or is it, like, accidentally bad? Or is it accidentally bad in a way that is, that's like, fun. leaned into and fun? Like, for example, I maintain that Showgirls isn't as intentionally bad as it actually is. But there's something about it that you're, I'm like, sure, that's also camp, though. That movie's a gift. I need you to leave Nomi alone. <laughs> okay. All I'm- See, yeah, this is exactly the path that we've gone down before, which is essentially... You like, started us on this path today. No, I know, but it's kind of a... Like, I'm like, so is it camp? And you guys are like, well, camp means a lot. And then it sort of boils down to you two feuding about camp within 45 seconds of that. Like, it sort of seems like camp is in the eye of the beholder, kind of. And so 
I was just curious if you two are designated yeah. camp experts that, that tend to feud about what camp is, uh, <laughs> thought that Dead Again was camp or just okay. crap. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What is your argument for it being camp? I, I, I think I told you it, it, it. There's a way in which looking back I think on the it, for it camp is just like it's shit. So that's why <laughs> that's why I'm saying like I don't hear an actual argument for it being camp. I, I guess what I'm saying is is that what I thought of as it being quote unquote shit, which is to say, um that it seemed tonally at odds with the material. Some people think that that at oddsiness is indeed a sign of a certain knowing camp. Uh, Again, I have not seen this film in at least three decades. Mm -hmm. Um, I have also no desire to rewatch this film, although now that we're talking about it, it's almost guaranteed that Chloe's going to watch it. But here's here's my Is it fun to watch? Does it feel fun to watch? Does it feel fun to laugh at does it is it fun in the way that a farce is fun um i i chloe i have to leave that in your hands you watch it and you tell me my part of my problem is is that um there's a weird world of expectations you know what i mean like like dead again was ken bronick's second film his first one was an adaptation of henry v that was you know um pretty enjoyable and got nominated for awards but you know was 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 mostly serious you know and he uh Bronig was getting compared to wells a lot you know because they were both young wonderkeen types uh who came out of the theater scene and but Bronig's dead again ends up feeling to me when i saw it it just looked like kind of overly pretentious like all of the all of the everything that sort of made henry the fifth work um because he really knew the material and had the angle for tackling it everything was justified and dead again was kind of like well i i don't know what if we just go for this you know and i and i don't know again how uh 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 Marriage wrecker Helena Bonham Carter, notorious uh, marriage wrecker Helena Bonham Carter, um, was in Frankenstein with which Ken Bronig, you know, not only wrote, uh, I'm sorry, didn't write. He he directed and starred in and also spray painted his abs on um, for, but he, uh, that I thought was also like, unbelievably genuinely awful but i i think there's a potentially a case to be made that maybe bronx more again in part with the theatrical background has a and being a brit has a better more knowing sense of camp that i'm screwed up by more or less taking him at face value i i had I, again, I haven't seen this film in a long time. I lean towards it being shit as opposed to camp. Mm-hmm. Um, in large part because there's nothing else about Brandon's career that really seems like there's an embrace of camp there. Yeah, I'd agree with like, that. I feel, I feel like he's far more on the uh, humorless slash my sense of humor is Rada approved starling like <laughs> spectrum. 
than anything else. And so it does. It like it. He does. He doesn't strike me as having that level of playfulness. Right? So like, right. when he's Playful in Wild like, Wild yeah. West, is like Doctor <laughs> Loveless with a Doctor, yeah, yeah, corn pone Southern accent. Like, I mean that you know his 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 love of the ridiculous mustache that seems to to pop up intermittently throughout his career. You. Those are those are not I, I, okay. I'm gonna say the love of the mustache and the beard. I don't think is a camp thing for Brana at all. Mm. I think he actually thinks that looks good. Okay, like let's just knock that out of the park right now. Okay, okay, that's out, that's out of the way. Um, is his wild wild west thing? I don't know. What's again? What's the difference between camp and overacting? Right? Like I I I feel that. I keep asking I, again, people I, again, these questions, I and and I I want to know, <laughs> Graham. I, well, I guess what I'm saying is like there's nothing for me that says that Brana is a big fan of camp, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's, Brent I, does not inherently camp make. Uh, and so I am going to lean towards I, it's probably just poorly made, yeah. right? Okay. That, that's that's my take on it. But again, I am like I am not the designated queer correspondent, um, so we're looking to you. I I, I would not uh, peg Brennick as being camp at all. Like that, like... Brana. No G. It's there, but it's silent. Okay, I thought you said Brannick, because Jeff is definitely saying Brannick. Oh, I'm saying Brannick back, forth, straight. I'm screwing it up everywhere. Brannug, you know. Yes. Kenneth Brunei. Is, Kenneth is, Brunel, <laughs> you know, Brigadoon. Br- br- I think that not that not that Kenneth Branagh is Thank the, you. is uh I don't think that his work is inherently camp. I don't think that he is inherently camp. If anything, he's probably a, a little bit of a snobby prick, but here's the thing. I think there's a way to spin the fact that him being a snobby prick is camp. <laughs> Like his shitty but stuff. But is it intentionally so? No, right? oh God, no. Like but if, that's like, but that's okay. Like something can be unintentionally right. Like I say, I, but I would say if you're looking for like Brana Camp, I would say you're probably closer with like the the um, Poirot films that he's doing now. Yeah, yeah. Right, because they're for those those least there feels like a knowing leaning into caricature like and cliche and there, cheek sort of thing. Whereas I think Dead Again is like. For want of a better way of putting it, uh, a sincere attempt to you know revive the master of Hitchcock that uh, is just like not very good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think I think there's a I, for want of a better way to put it, I think Dead Again feels at being camp because he means it, mm-hmm. which kind of strips it of uh, yeah. I mean that that kind of strips it away when you when you intentionally. <sighs> When you, uh, I'm trying to, because I, I was, I was, what I was going to say is, if you approach something purposefully trying to make it camp, you are likely going to end up with a not camp thing. But that's not necessarily true either. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. I mean, look at look at look at things like, uh, I mean, look at what like John Waters does, right? Yeah, Which exactly. is very intentionally camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's it's one of the without sounding like a prick. It's kind of like uh, camp is a is a is a state of mind sort of thing. Like you kind of have to be 
just that sort of person to make those sorts of films, I think. I don't know about the way Or be entirely it. oblivious and somehow yes. like back into it. Yeah. I think, but I think it's the awareness of like, I'm setting out to make, you know, a very, you know, very quirky, very funny, very camp film, like as a uh, generally seen as very straight laced person you're going to end up with something that tries incredibly hard. I think we were talking about something like this earlier, where it's just like, if you try really fucking hard to be camp, to be overly funny, to be... Um, uh, you end up with the film like, Kinky Boots. Yeah. <laughs> Love Kinky Boots. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Look. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that, that that kind of strays more into the like, oh... You were trying real hard, weren't you, buddy? Oh, him's trying real hard. <laughs> he's trying so hard. He's gonna be camp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeff. Question number two for the queer correspondent. Oh Did yeah. Okay. Right. So, so Chloe, as as our queer correspondent, uh, I I have to say, um, so <laughs> I I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking on behalf of of the queers, uh. So I so I've been hearing a lot about this this homosexual agenda um and so I signed up to get a copy of it online and I I just wanted to check like there's a few things that I'm not necessarily sure about but like so like according to the homosexual agenda our flag means death is super gay and needs to get a season two, and that's like at the forefront of the homosexual agenda. Is that is that is is that your understanding? Oh, Jeff, I just do not give a fuck. Really? I, <laughs> it's got I, a season two. It got, it, a, it, it got a season two. Did it? Maybe I've got an old copy of the agenda. I got this joke from a Facebook meme. <laughs> What's that? I feel like you got this bit from a Facebook meme. <laughs> probably, probably. I mean. <laughs> I, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, um, so I was actually curious. Yes, it got season two got announced on the first day of June because HBO Max, yeah. like I guess, was holding it back and then being like, "Happy Pride, everyone!" Oh, so they let it. Okay, See, I didn't get yeah, the announcement. Yeah, my my goodness, good. that's why. Okay, so great. So HBO clearly was aware that they had the. So my other question, you know, the phrase like "no homo." Is yeah. is it true that that we're that it's supposed is to be taken back and, and and revivified as Mo Homo? Is that is that is that true? Hello. Jeff, who are you talking to? What? Who did this? <laughs> okay. So like Pomo Homo is not a is that's that's not that's not gonna be a thing either then, right? Look, again. I am not going to speak on behalf of all the of all the queers of any sort. But if I ever say that, punch me in the face. If you ever say pomo homo, po- what the fuck? What is pomo postmodern? I I have so much she... hate in my heart right now. <laughs> <laughs> I punch you in the face. Deb. I have I have like I. <laughs> Do you know that bit in Clue when Madeline Kahn goes flames? <laughs> flames shooting from my, was it eyes or head or, yeah, yeah. On the side of my face. Oh my god, no, flames. I'm like, I'm going to look up and see where, don't. why, why. Just don't. Is this a real thing? It's, I, it's, 
This is like I, I shared something on 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 Twitter at the beginning of Pride because it made me so important. The no homo thing reminds me of a friend of mine who reached out and he's oh a, he's, he's a he's a he's a band promoter uh, back in Virginia. He promotes a bunch of like very specifically like metal bands and and stuff like that. But he also plays in a band and he approached me and we were talking about music and stuff and he was like. I want to show you my, my, my gig outfit. And he sent me this picture and he's in, it's like straight up like leather cod piece. Like we're talking like Jude, like the good era of Judas priest type thing. Mm. And he's got on the leather harness and the spikes and the leather hat and like, like Zardos boots. And, uh, he was like, I like to wear my homo outfit to help rep my homo friends. Happy pride, bro. And that is the single best thing that has ever happened to me. I was like, you know, I was like, this is the best kind of clueless allyship. Right. Zardo's boots are like, I do have to say, like, I was like, oh my God, I want Zardo's boots. But so. also, like, you know exactly what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a description that you know exactly. I was like, Zardo's boots. And it also just makes me remember the trailer that just goes, Zardo's, 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 yeah. Zardo's. Anyway, I'm here to support my homo friends with my homo outfit. And I was like, dude, this is the this is honestly the only kind of allyship I ever want to expect from anybody ever. Again. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so good. It's absolutely tone deaf and clueless uh, and he meant the best. And he meant the best. Well, in that case, I mean, I don't know. I suppose we can't put that photo in the show notes then. Probably. Oh god, no. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Instead, just put the poster for Dead again, which I have had staring at me since she started talking about it. And it's it's a really, really bad Photoshop job. It's very graphic sh- design is my passion. Yeah, you, we should celebrate the shitness of the Dead Again poster. So oh, the Dead then. Again poster is terrible. Yeah, that it's was really like... Bad. It's like there, someone sketched it out on paper and was like, this will work. And then they <laughs> gave it to someone who had like, you know, was was in the middle of their art school degree. Mm-hmm. And was like, I'm airbrushing, and then just gave up. Like, he had a party that night, and he was like, fuck it. <laughs> also, make Emma Thompson's face look really wide. Hmm. Like, her face looks oddly wide. Look how far apart those eyes are. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a roast for you, but I just couldn't. No. Nah. <laughs> The roast is Emma Thompson. Ah, Emma Thompson. Oh, uh, apparently Emma Thompson is also playing Miss Trunchbull in this terrible Matilda musical. Mm-hmm. And can, uh, Emma Thompson, like, not only am I just like, oh, Emma Thompson, don't. I'm also like, oh, Emma Thompson, don't be the actress that gets put in another fucking fat suit. Yeah, can they apparently put the that? photos of the fat her in the fat suit up, and people are. We like, gotta stop. It's mm-hmm. a bad time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I agree. Uh, okay. Well, you'll be happy to know that I think that's all. Of, that's pretty much all of my pride <laughs> questions. The, the dead right, again. No. The the our flag means death. Um, it, it the homosexual agenda. I I it, I mean, admittedly, I can get a more uh, in, um, detailed one if I like pay money for the Substack, but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't seem worth it. So <laughs> honestly, no. But the no. bit where they answer questions, just like Morrison's Substack, is definitely worth the check. Oh, I'm I totally believe it. I totally believe it. That being said, I'm kind of bummed that I um 
uh, that apparently um, Morrison was was talking about the uh, in a bit of detail about the nightmare that was Marvel Boy Two, and I was not able to sadly really read about it except through the uh, through the slightly unclean lens that is bleeding cool. So uh, Morrison also in the uh, email that went out yesterday uh, named some of his favorite comic journalists, and uh, someone who's on this podcast who's not me or you was the first person he named. No, Hi. really? Yep. Hi. That's awesome. Yeah. No. It's really funny because, you know, as we were saying, yesterday was a really, really, really bad day. And then I was like, look at this. It's good news. Wow. And she was like, yeah, yeah, it is. That's like, hooray. And then do you know what else happened to her to call mm. yesterday? I just started crying. Well, <laughs> yes, you did also start crying. Uh, what did you get in the mail yesterday? What did I get in the mail? Oh my god! Okay, so <laughs> Jeff, you're gonna be jealous because I'm jealous. Um, Shit. so I got comics from John Wagner. Wow! Oh, the the yeah, Rock of the Wagner. Red stuff that he he yeah. offered to yeah. send you. And yeah. yeah, and he signed to Chloe. Thank you, and all the best, John Wagner. Holy shit! Are you not jealous? Yes, I am definitely what? jealous. That's fabulous. Yeah, that was cool. Right? <laughs> now I have John Wagner's address, so I'm just going to be like, hey, love you. <laughs> like a Coming little over post- to visit. A little, little postcard. Yeah, you'll be like, hey, me and Graham, we're in town, and we just kind of thought. <laughs> yeah, we're coming to Britain just to be in town. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's all get a kebab. Yeah. yeah. That sounds... Uh, that oh, sounds... But after all the Morrison stuff, yeah, like they they mentioned me in the newsletter, and then I gained like sixty followers on Twitter, and I was like, oh, guess ready, guess who's gonna be real disappointed? <laughs> I don't say shit. <laughs> that that is that is not true. You are uh, you you know um, you're you're definitely one of those that I make a point to. If I haven't seen you in a couple of days, I try and go back and scroll through the timeline because there's. <laughs> There's there's usually something audacious posted there, you know. Something audacious is the best way to describe her Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I bet something audacious is also a Julie Brown song featured in <laughs> Earth Girls Are Easy. Probably. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow, are you still fixated on Earth Girls Are Easy? Wait, weren't I you guess. the one who was talking about the the sex yeah. scenes between Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum? Uh... <laughs> because, like, okay, so... The, like, Earth Girls Are Easy came out in 1988, right? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Goldblum is very hot, and Gina Davis is very hot. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they fuck in that movie. Good for them. And then, um, and then I was like, now wait a minute. So that can't have been the the. And then I and then I was like, wait a minute. They also fucked in The Fly. And uh-huh. then and it, that was two years before they had to film this like the nasty sex scene in The Fly. Before they ever did like the iconic Earth Girls Are Easy stuff, and I'm just like, man, how how do you have to reconcile with that? You know, I I sort of feel like that's better than doing it the other way around. Wait, so so the fly did come out before Earth Girls Are Easy? That's funny. I thought it was the other way around. Hmm. I thought it, yeah, I thought it was the other way around as well. Yeah. Huh. Uh, we've just been outside. I just looked up Earth Girls Are Easy on Wikipedia. Uh, it is co-written by Julie Brown. It's because it's based off of one of her songs. Uh, but also, it's directed. She wrote by Julie... all the songs in it, didn't she? 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's directed by Julian Temple. Mm-hmm. That's not why I mean. Julian familiar. Temple is the guy who directs The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, which <gasps> we've been talking about oh since watching God. Pistol. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is great news for me. <laughs> it's just, uh, it, it's, it's all, everything's coming up, Chloe. Uh, oh, let's not go that far, but I'm very happy about the <laughs> Julian Temple of it all. Did we talk, did I talk to you about Pistol last time? Me? Yeah, you. Pistol? Pistol. Oh, the the Danny this, this Boyle is, this, TV thingy? Doodle? Yeah. yeah, no, no. I don't think we did. Um, it is... It's something that has pissed off a lot of musical purists because it is something that does not really treat the Sex Pistols with um, a great deal of respect. And for that matter, it doesn't really treat the actual historical record with a great deal of respect. Mm. Nonetheless, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons I loved it is it gets to, like, the sort of dumb emotional truth of the Sex Pistols story, which is they were fucking children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they were, were 19 years old. Yeah. Yeah, they were babies, and they were babies who were taken advantage of, and the show makes that very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 not that I've followed it very closely, but I, I do feel that the... Malcolm McLaren was the sort of genius mastermind slash exploiter uh, narrative came in relatively early on in part because I think he, yeah. So, and and that's like very clear in the show. It's I think it's a very fun show, but again, anyone who goes in going, I want the real story. Nah, you're not going to get that. But if you go (laughs) in going, I want a relatively entertaining, like five part miniseries, then thumbs aloft. Excellent. Do you uh, have any interest in that Boz Lerman Elvis thing that's coming out? Speaking of campy uh, lack of verisimilitude. Elvis does, and it's not me. Ah, I see. Got it. <laughs> Why do you have interest in it? Oh, because it's going to just like it, like like Baz Lerman is just such a is such a just a, a just little, one of God's little freaks when it comes to making movies, and like you're doing an Elvis story. My God, it's not even my birthday. <laughs> Where do you stand, Bad Lerman, Jeff? Um, you know, I would say I would say a mixed bag, kind of like I um I've seen Australia. No, no, I mean, and that's it. I feel like um, because that's why I'm not interested. Right, I I kind of feel like after Moulin Rouge, I kind of just sort of tied it off. Like I might have seen uh. The first episode of what was the Netflix origin of hip hop series that he did? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of I wanted to watch more of that. Yeah, I like the Get Down well enough. Yeah, that's yeah. So the Get Down. So, but I mean, after Moulin Rouge, I was like, "Mm, I just kind of don't think. Like, I kind of had that thing of like, I just kind of it kind of it just can't be topped i guess and then of course i watched the great gatsby and watching what he did to the great gatsby was um i i mean graham i know i know the great gatsby is one of those books that you read in school and know by heart and and love to within an inch of your life but but okay (laughs) but no i know that because people are people were writing in being like wow like like Graham really is suspicious of the term the Great Gatsby. So um when I 
compared you to him month like what no, a month I ago? Oh yeah, I'm just checking because I was trying to be ironic, and you're like, I can assure you, I do not. And I'm like, oh well, okay, that joke. I remember very clearly being like, am I being insulted or not? I can't tell if I'm being trolled. I'm genuinely not knowing. Yeah, yeah, and not not believing me. Anyway, Great Gatsby was kind of a heartbreaker, but again, also had some stuff that I was like, uh, I don't know, had had bits and moments. Like, I, kind of, I like Lerman's over-the-top, over-the-toppiness, but I also think that there can be weird diminishing returns like strictly ballroom and moulin rouge i just think are like kind of a perfect one-two punch uh, of cinema like i kind of like i don't really know if and where they could go but i just don't think that like i just i and that's that could be me if you were like hey do you want to see a movie called australia starring nicole kidman and hugh jackman i'd be like like never no like how much do i have to pay to make sure that's the right choice doesn't happen to me as someone who's seen australia that is 100 percent the right choice okay i feel like it i feel like there's a crime against nature happening where nobody has yet talked about uh Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, which is... Oh, shit! Uh, I kept dropping that out. Yeah, sorry. I knew there was a third one. There is a tr- third trilogy, I guess. Yeah. Which is one? It just... It's it's a masterpiece. <laughs> it, is it? Oh, yes. Is it's it? pretty good. I have to say, it's it's not bad. I, I, I'm, I'm down with Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> I I am. I actually thought I thought there was lots of ways, and that's my. I mean, how do I put it? That's also a thing that I'm like. Uh, as long as we keep talking about like theater directors turned movie directors turn, you know, trying to figure out their degree of campiness, like you know, Shakespeare is so um, flexible and and also just kind of very easy to have that kind of all in approach so yeah no i i i you know in theory i like lerman i feel like lerman's always got an idea which i guess is my weakness you know it's like oh as as long as they've got an idea that they're sort of um forming their their various successes around then it usually ends up being more satisfying for me but yeah sorry chloe i did forget about it i'm like god what was that other movie i thought i was missing one but Yep. Okay, we can stick together on this, Jeff, because somebody over here is being judgy, <laughs> judgy fussy face. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't support William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet as the uh, official title of the film is. Apology accepted. <laughs> well, there we go. See, we've all you know, managed to 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 express. <laughs> Differing opinions and um, come out intact. Hooray. I feel like this I, is... I don't like Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't really like Claire Danes. So I was, I was, you know, doomed. Also, Romeo and Juliet is something I had to study at school. So. Oh, I see. So you know it. Uh, I see, Graham. Well, I mean, I, no, I got I to gotta admit, I was not enamored of Claire Danes. I like Leo DiCaprio a little bit better, but I mean, you know, come on. It's John Leguizamo's where, is it, where it's at for that movie. Yes, for thank you. You know, that's kind of, you're missing, you're missing the forest for the trees, my friend. So, uh, 
so we have a book to talk about too, that, right? Or did <laughs> no, were you trolling me with that, Graham? Did we not? Are we not talking about? Are no, we not going to talk? No, about no, it? Really I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I, trolling you by saying no. Well, I was I was going to ask you, Jeff, uh, in honor of Pride Month, as, as the uh, as the honestly the, the token queer. Let's just let's let's just <laughs> let's just call it what it is. <laughs> what 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 as a as a as a straight cis guy, Jeff? How do you feel about Devlin Waugh swimming in blood? Well, so to break my feelings <laughs> into three parts, the first part was, wow, it is amazing somehow that we ended up in a timeline where Tom Hardy is going to be making three Venom movies instead of three Devlin Waugh movies. Because I really was reading, while I was reading Devlin Waugh Swimming in Blood, I'm like, this seems so Tom Hardy's jam. Like, it really seems so Tom Hardy's jam. Second thing, I liked uh, maybe two-thirds to three-quarters of it and then found it either exhausting, annoying, or... um, disheveled i'm not sure disorganized like at first i was like oh this is great and then at a certain point i'm like it feels like kind of the same joke and then it was like i feel like i've read the same 10 pages over and over again and i'm like oh and now it's over so i was a little also i have to tell you there's another thing as a straight cis dude where i'm like devlin wah and and admittedly characters of their time um have complicated meanings probably circling around people's still complicated issues with their sexual identity but but Devlin Wah felt weirdly homophobic when it wasn't being joyfully campily homophilic i guess you know what i mean <laughs> utter dead it. silence that is amazing i'm unpacking that i <laughs> okay I'm... okay let's put aside the tom hardy thing first of all because i because neither of you like that idea from... apparently well, i thought just, i can kind of see where you're coming from but also like i disagree but it's not worth arguing about question sure. mark <laughs> no um no but like i can see where you're coming from but also i think tom hardy would be a terrible devil <laughs> Like, oh yeah, yeah. I I think he he. I just don't. I can't see it at all. Well, yeah, he is also straight. Yeah, I, I, also you're, straight. you're like I'm very upset. About Tom that. Tom Hardy's bi. Tom Hardy's bi. He just um, you know, he's he's like, yeah. Tom Hardy a is not straight, and b I definitely think based on, I don't know, at least. Are, are you literally just saying, like, well, Venom's a bit weird, so... No! No, 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 no. I think, first off, I think that Bane is played, is ridiculously camp. And I, I also think that Hardy's performances in things like um, he, Inception, he's definitely portraying a level of um, uh, sexual wastrel. I suppose and then and then there's also stuff like Bronson where he's playing someone who's like 
incredibly oh. violent and incredibly gay, you know, and 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 campily so, I guess. So, uh, you know, for me, it's kind of like, oh yeah, all those pieces kind of kind of come together. I, you know, he's kind of a terrible human being, or at least not a fun person to co-star in a movie with. Directed by George Miller, anyway. But I, I just don't think that. Um, but yeah, no. For me, I'm like, no, 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 no. That weird mix of, I don't know, campy violence seemed really kind of. And I think I think that there's elements of Venom that are also sort of campy violence, I guess. So that's kind of what I was I, thinking I of. I don't see a playfulness. I don't see a good yeah. humor in, in Hardy's work that, that I think Devlin would require. Um, but anyway, moving on. Moving like, I'm like, let's put that aside. And then we're like, let's talk about it. No, let's put that aside. Well, um, no, 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 no. But I mean, that actually clues into it because I think that there's something about there's something about swimming in blood that's actually pretty mean-spirited, apart from the fact that it is about tons and tons and tons of people dying pretty violently and Wa being um, incredibly nonplussed. But his, at least in this one episode, he clearly makes it sound like, I mean, he is, um, Wa strikes me as this inner, sort of classic intertwining of, you know, the old role of the the gay character who's also just, like, a very flamboyant flop, which, you know, don't necessarily have to, to cross over. But so Wa is kind of that, all those associations that people use to um, uh, uh, excoriate the the upper classes in England Wa falls nicely into. He's you know, he 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 all but brags about being a eugenicist. You know, yeah. he talks of glory you know, revels in the fact that he was raised a misogynist. Um, you know, and 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 a few variety of other things that make it sound like he's kind of a nasty piece of work and genuinely does not give a shit about anyone throughout the course of the story, which again, fair enough. It's 2000 AD. It's fine. You know, he, he well, isn't, he's a camp anti-hero um, in that is, that sort of stands out from the regular 2000 AD stripe of anti-heroes. But, but he also kind of seems kind of um, uh, problematic. Your fave is problematic, I guess. Okay, so I a couple of things. One is I think that like, are you familiar with Terry Thomas, the the British actor? I don't think so. No. Okay, because because was basically like a parody of Terry Thomas. The looks almost exactly. Like yeah, him he's as like well. vi visually, like the face, the head mm -hmm. is is almost exactly Terry <laughs> Thomas. But like the character is uh, a sort of a, a hyper violent exaggeration of Terry Thomas, mm -hmm. right? And so there, that that sort of feeds into the. Um, I was going to say holier than that, but that's not the superior well, attitude for what. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Well, also like uh, uh, entertainers and comedians like Terry Thomas, and honestly, a bunch of a bunch of uh, uh, just post mid century like British comedians uh, who were gay. Uh, 
basically after after being gay uh, stopped being outlawed which was only in fucking like 1970 something yeah. like mm-hmm. officially the the, the <clears throat> house of parliament said hey being gay isn't a crime anymore everybody have fun um and all of these comedians basically came out of the woodworks um with the kind of humor that you see uh smith use in devlamois which is um Overly flamboyant, very flippant, very it's uh, bitchy queens. It's it's it's, 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 bitchy, it's bitchy queens, right. and it's very um it's very it's self-referential. Um, it's very vapid. It's very uh, it can be misogynistic. It can be or if not misogynistic, then just um um making jokes about hating women because the stereotype at least in the UK for a really long time, was, well, if you're a gay man, you hate women. And what happened was all these entertainers and comedians basically took all this fodder that straight people were using against gay people and turned it into a joke. And it became the, you can't bully me for something that I'm making fun of myself for. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that kind of became like a cultural touch point for what, um, what gay means and how the the terms gay and camp are so interchangeable in British entertainment mm-hmm. uh, throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, and that's something that, like was very definitely like playing into and continuing. And and Smith being a um, a queer writer. Smith, be, <laughs> Smith being just straight up gay, like he was a very openly gay writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who was, I mean, well into it. I don't even remember how old he is now. He'd probably be, had been in his 40s by the time Devlin lost no, it. No, no, 30s no, 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 maybe? Yeah, maybe early 30s, because Devlin Lamont was 92. It's his 30th anniversary. Happy, okay, so, happy anniversary, Devlin Lamont. Uh, happy anniversary. Um, but, like, so he had clearly been growing up in this period uh, as a gay man, surrounded by these comedians who honestly were teaching that a form of entertainment is using these stereotypes pitted against you for you. And I think that especially uh, because the comic never actually comes out and says Devlin's gay, there's never a coming out moment. And that's um, something that's uh, kind of a string throughout a lot of Smith's comics period. There are a lot of queer coded characters. There are a lot of openly gay characters and it's never something explicitly said. It's always said with action and it's always said with joke. With the exception of straight gate. With the exception of straight gate, which is a whole fucking thing in mind adventure. Um, But it's, it's, I can, I understand the reason why it would be considered problematic, but I think that it's a really honestly kind of beautiful look into um where gay storytelling was during that period but before we leap into that jeff i have a question to ask you about this mm-hmm. if you consider that devil was swimming in blood is being published more or less contemporaneous with like the garth ennis and grant morrison and mark miller dread mm-hmm does Swimming Blood seem more or less misogynistic and misanthropic? That's a good one. That's a good question. Um, very much of the era, right? Yeah. Where right. it is like was I like Swimming Blood a lot, and one of the things I like about it is I think it's a successful use of the. It successfully does what something like uh, Dread Inferno fails at, which is it takes the structure and format of like the American blockbuster movie. 
uh, especially the action movie, and transfers it into like the science fiction setting. Yeah. Right? And mixes it with quote unquote 2080 DNA. Okay, so you have the kind of flip to the point of being, you know, uh, misanthropic or, or cruel hero, right? Where they're not really interested in the, the they're doing the the right thing, not because it's the right thing, but because like, you know, they've been guilted into it or they've been, you know, seduced into it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're making like these flip jokes and they're, they're not, there's no, um, display of kindness there's no display of of empathy for the people that are that they're saving mm-hmm. uh, like they're treated with disdain and i think that you know you look at like inferno again inferno is when you know when you and i did it for drug it's very much morrison trying to write dread as 1990s action movie okay and mm-hmm. swimming blood 100 percent like taking the dna of like a 1980s action flick mm-hmm. you know you can imagine the you know i was gonna say james cameron but james cameron wouldn't fucking direct swimming the blood swimming the blood would be the james cameron ripoff that you know ends up straight on video true but it, yeah. it's got that format right it's got the mm-hmm. claustrophobic setting it's got the oh no it's the, like there's vampires in the prison we should do a plot synopsis at some point swimming blood um but you know it's got the there's like there's space vampires in the space prison Mm-hmm. Like high concept, but also the fact that that gives it a very clear structure, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, they have to get out of the space was underwater prison, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's a very clear goal right. and the, the episodic nature of it hits all the action beats that you expect to hit, to hit, including, oh no, Devlin's dead and he's mm-hmm. missing for and then he comes back and he's like, I'm not dead, but I'm a vampire too now, but I'm a good vampire. Like, all of that feels very, um, if not cliched, then at least, like, incredibly self-aware of the of the cliches and the tropes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at it in the, the, the context of, oh, that's right, it was being done at the point where, you know, all of Smith's contemporaries were basically trying to write the story as well. In fact, yeah. there's a couple of years before Smith's contemporaries were trying to write this this these stories mm-hmm. i think it reads differently i don't think it reads i don't think devlin as a character reads uh as uh misanthropic i don't think this strips treatment of devlin as a queer character comes across as hateful at, at all I, th- I think there's a context there that really changes the reading mm-hmm. um i mean i would also say that there's um I mean, kind of, kind of, it plays in what I was saying before, kind of plays into what you're saying now, which is like um, that because the stereotypes are play, being played into, it becomes something, uh, it becomes more subversive. It's the same sort of way that like some people, and I won't say the word on the podcast, obviously, but there are some people that uh, think using the F slur for gay people uh, to about themselves is kind of a, a reclamation and then something that you can feel comfortable with. Even using the word queer is something that is, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, honestly, I mean, relatively new to the past probably 30, 35 years. You got someone something pushing like, back against you oh using that this week. Yeah, I know. Um, but in that way, like, Devlin Watt, to me, seems extraordinarily subversive, especially considering that uh, John Smith uh, was the only out gay writer writing for for honestly mainstream british comics at the time and and with that you know it kind of felt like um 
that's a good way to put it. Uh, I'm trying to come up with a good way with a good think, way to summarize so what think, I'm saying. Think of a bad way to put it. We'll work with that. <laughs> um, the fact, the fact that he felt uh, the ability to write this story speaks volumes because it's so wacky and it's so hyper violent and it's so out there and at the same time it's um it is it is smith putting a gay character into the world in a time where it was just all macho all like hyper straight all hyper masculine 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 and devlinois is those things Mm -hmm. and also yeah Mm -hmm. devlinois gets to be be you, all like, those things, right? He gets to embody those traditionally heroic, you know, quotation like, marks qualities. And he, so he fits into the 2080 fandom of that period so beautifully because he still fits those tropes that are really popular. And he's also a piece of who Smith is. And that can include things that are considered problematic, but it's also. Um, it's problematic in the same way that like reading the invisibles is now, you know, is problematic where you can have all the problems in the world with Lord Fanny that you want. But if you hear Morrison, like talk about it, that's, that's something that they connected with and something that I connected with and have have caught a lot of shit about in the Mm -hmm. past is these characters, because that's what you had at the time. These are the characters that you can look at and you can snub them all you want for being problematic. But during the period, this is this is the language. This was the culture that people got to connect to. So seeing a character that is um, brassy and, and bombastic and flamboyant and all of these things uh, that seem like a little bit too much in the way that Devlin is, in my head, I'm like, still, he got to write that, and somewhere, like, some 2000 AD fan who was, like, a little closeted gay kid was probably totally into it and mm-hmm. grew up connecting with that character. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the Delam's a really successful strip. When yeah. It like, it was massively successful. It was, like, the hit of mm-hmm. the magazine in the era that it, was, that it was running. You know, in a way that I think people who would have I think if you'd summarize Devlin as like, you know, he's he's this queer hero who is 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 uh I hesitate to say complex because he's really not. Like one of the joys of Devlin is He got that, more complex as Alish Cott took him over. He did. And and you know, that's a that's a joy, right? Because Alish's stuff and the and the character's really, really great. Um but like especially in Swimming in Blood he very much is like a fly character, right? He comes in, he has his little, like, you know, joke. He has his quip. He has his, like, oh, heavens to Betsy. You know, Snaggle says, I, I make a lapse. You know, <laughs> thing. and then he he will punch someone because he's also built like a brick shake house, right? <laughs> and that's, that's it. There's not that much more to Devlin. But at the same time, he is also much more complex than other 2008 characters. Mm-hmm. Right by by his very by his queerness by honestly the the um the the Vatican connection and the mm-hmm. idea that he's not just like a violent antihero he's also you know an exorcist for the Vatican <laughs> like which is something that is the MacGuffin of the story and it's honestly you know kind of not even really there. Mm-hmm. 
and, and to the point where at the end of the story, when he's a vampire and the Vatican's just like, sure, you're a vampire. Sure, we'll just, yeah, yeah, yeah on. We'll, we'll just look the other way. It's just like, the, it's almost, you know, lampshading the fact that, you know, that that, that almost doesn't matter. But um, the, there are these elements to Devlin that in veering from the cliche make him more complex than I think that the the execution of Smith's writing really allows for. Hmm. Uh, um, hmm. Well, I, okay. This I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I want you, I want you to unpack the, the homophobic thing. I, I'm I'm really too? like I'm interested. Are you saying that it's homophobic because Devlin is an unlikable character? Well, okay. I would I would say, and I could be wrong that generally within uh, British culture, when you associate someone with the upper classes and being a feat, it's usually not in a positive sense. You know, sort of similarly, the idea that Devlin is associated with, uh, if I guess specifically, the Catholic Church um, which also has a certain level of, um, you know, what can I say? Like, you know, uh, homophobic coding within it. There's a, there's a, there's a scene where, um, Devlin is about to confess his, uh, feelings to one of the security guards, mm -hmm. um, and it's right at the moment where one of the nurses is like, some something just swam by my feet. And yeah. then this vampire sort of, you know, bursts Leaves out up. of the water, yeah. right? So that strikes me as a symbolically fraught little scene. Like, not, like quite probably sort of played for laughs, but the idea of vampires, which are a delightful all-purpose um, metaphor for so many things, can also be a, um, again, a very, there can be a lot of homophobia in um, in vampires. There's, a, unsurprisingly, a, ton of uh homophobia in the idea of of prisons and like prison movies there you know even even the level at which aquatraz is in the shape of a seahorse you know which is like i i don't want to say like i feel you're projecting but i feel you're projecting i feel like a lot of these things are the point right the smith is leaning into these cliches these tropes a lot and, of these is, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, right? But I think, especially something like the scene where where Devlin is, you know, potentially going to confess his love for a security guard, or is just like aimlessly flirting. Mm -hmm. uh, interrupted by the the vampire. I don't read anything homophobic into that at all. I read it as literally like the the scene a subversion of the the scene you'd expect in that sort of film the come the coming out scene no but no not even the coming out scene just the the scene of like it's the hero and he's flirting with like a potential love interest and then they're interrupted by a monster 
like you'd see that in any yeah, horror film, true. right? And if it was a straight a couple, or if it was a straight hero, and he was he was doing it to to uh, right to the nurse who just you felt something, for any, example. Yeah, you wouldn't think anything of it, mm. right? And I think that Smith is literally just having fun with that trope. And so to say, like you know, I think there's 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 you know there's homophobic intent here. I think I'm 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 not saying homophobic intent. I guess what I'm saying is that it's maybe more complicated than that, which is, is that Devlin plays with the idea of potentially Smith's own internalized homophobia, which is okay, but how? Yeah, like I, that that that's what I'm that's yeah. like I don't I don't quite understand I but guess. Smith had also been in like a very long-term like public uh relationship with a man at that point. Like it was something known and that he made known. Mm-hmm. You know. Like it was like this was he was he was never somebody to um at least during the his his spotlight career he was never like closeted. He wasn't by all accounts from a lot of people very uh forthright let's say about uh his sexuality sure sure i definitely i i believe that but that doesn't mean that you necessarily escape the 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 culturally the the culture's homophobia you know like there's a there's a my understanding of this time is is that one of the many things that that gay people had to deal with that was so hard was you know there was the external homophobia but there's also trying to parse out that internal homophobia and and i think that you know sort of talking about the way in which um you know camp humor and these comedians coming out and and playing like you said, leaning into these aspects as a way of, um, you know, well, it was a way of celebrating yourself. Um, I would say that it just feels a little more complicated than just that to me, and 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 maybe maybe I'm wrong. You know, like it just feels like it's to the extent that it is. Um, you know, uh, so what, what do you feel would make I'm trying, so I'm trying to unpack what it is that I think you're trying to say with this. What would make it less homophobic to you in that case? Like what I, would make Devlin feel inherently, uh, less problematic? I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know because at that point you sort of start looking at the character as, something other than who he is. I mean, you've got a a really creepy, almost disposable one-page scene where, um, you know, where, where Murray, I I think his name is the, the, the insect, um, the cockroach guy who's been brought into the whole situation is, is like, I want to try and free these people, the people that are called the freaks who've been stuck in this, own section for their deformity and um you know wa goes uh, like there's kind of the whole like hey we have to leave them behind sort of situation of um 
you know, the guard, but Wob sort of makes a point of being like, um, the, these characters are repugnant, you know, it's better to keep their slurry out of the gene pool or something, you know? And, it, and that's, um, you know, that's kind of the sort of thing where I'd be like, Hmm. And again, like you're used to seeing scenes where the anti-hero is, um, you know, sort of very focused on, um, you know, they're the ones who are like, come on, we have to go. We don't have time for this. And, you know, Devlin's just sort of a very, in, in, for a lot of this, he's a very brilliantly comical form of, um, of info dumping. You know, he provides tons and tons and tons of explanation to the guards while, you know, huge chunks of swimming in blood are actually, like you guys said, a very, um, you know, sort of blockbustery type thing. It's, it's, you know, uh, way more Stephen Kingish throughout, um, you know, when you sort of excise wah. And I'm not, I'm not saying, I guess I'm just saying that wah is kind of like, I, I, you know, he, I, he, it, it, the, the way that the character is constructed where again, it's like, oh yes, no, you know, like he's being, he's going out of his way to be like, no, 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 I hate women. And, oh, and I hate the deformed and I'm a member of the Vatican and I'm a member of superior breeding and you people are all boars. Like, on the one hand, it's sort of funny. On the other hand, it's the kind of joke that if it were being told by a straight guy would feel kind of homophobic as fuck. And like I said, it it could well be that there's something, there's a lot of things that are more complicatedly going on in there. But for me, I was just kind of like, yeah, that it doesn't, it just doesn't, feel and this this is also part sometimes my problems with um aspects particularly the older aspects of things like camp or drag where it's where it's mean you know like there's a lot and that i think is also an important necessity in many ways uh to to allow that 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 queer readers and queer people kind of felt compelled to toughen themselves and each other up that you had to have a thick skin because you were in a society and a culture that just seemed virulently hated you. Um, but, but it's the, it's the kind of thing like sort of the same way when you move back into some of the portrayals of gay characters say back in the 70s even by at least gay creators that had made it far enough into the mainstream there's some again what i say very problematic elements that are sort of like well those are the elements from the times but it's they were not gentler times you know what i mean and so i know it's sort of funny cuz as you guys point out in 2000 AD, no one ever walks around being like, 
oh man, why can't Judge Dredd be, you know, a little more of a softy or like, you okay, know, winter... asking him to be. Okay, uh... but this. Well, that's what I'm saying. Of, yeah. This is one of my questions. Like, imagine Devlin Watt and the strip's exactly the same and the character's exactly the same and he's straight. Right. Do you still have the same problems with the character? Uh, is he saying have... all of the same things? Yeah. Is he still talking about being a. Uh a misogynist and is he still talking about you know the genetic slurry of the inferior races i mean you know then yeah yes what's that well i mean the people he's talking about are literally people that are 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 rapists and killers and mass murderers and psychopaths well but also at that point are also basically like demonic possessed like (laughs) Like, at that point, you know, they are, I guess, I like, I think I understand what you're saying, but mm-hmm. also I think there's, uh, I guess I'm just reading other context in there that's making me go, I like, I, I uh, Jeff, I have problems. I have problems. I, 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 I um, mean, it sort of sounds like, yes, yes. I mean, I mean you have. Okay, pro- I, I, I've, I have multiple things, like. Part of it is I see – I don't see Devlin as being an aspirational figure. Mm-hmm. I don't see Devlin as being yeah. even necessarily a good guy, and I think that's mm-hmm. part of the thing. He's an anti-hero, right? Right. right. Like he right. even – I mean he literally ends the story going like money and – it's like money and sex. That's all I'm interested in, whatever yeah. it is, right? Like mm-hmm. he's – at no point, at no point is he presented as like uh, honestly even likable. See, that's right. one of my favorite parts about him. He's a, he's a, he's one of the he's one of the few. Um, I I personally am not always a huge fan of the super squishy fun time rainbow brand of queer, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think it's a. I think it's an unrealistic um, an unrealistic portrayal. I mean, there are there are terrible. Gay people. There are good gay yeah, people. Yeah, which, there, which, and and which Devlin is, is Devlin is not necessarily a good person. Well, well which um, is is important, right? He's but messy. I, <laughs> I also think that, like, I think again, I think that Devlin is not meant to be a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. I think Devlin right. is meant to be pleasant. I think Devlin is meant to be objectionable. I think Devlin exists within a context of uh, not only queer culture, but honestly, like 2000 AD anti-hero culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that we've seen versions of this misanthropic character be successful in 2080 before not oh definitely yep not to this level of bluntness right Mm -hmm. but i also think that when you when he's like his misogyny is i don't want to say played for laughs but to an extent played for laughs laughs, because that was part of that was part of the stereotype like the joke is the joke is that like he has been brought up right to not only dislike people in general, but to specifically dislike women. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. They're like it's it it is presented within the context of a joke. The idea of him talking about this genetic underclass is literally in the context of the prisoners who are currently being like transformed into monsters by the the insect guy. Mm-hmm. Right. This is not like just uh, he's not going all oh, those poorers. Although I'll be honest. If you're saying all oh, those tours, that would also be within the context of the character as he's presented here. Absolutely, right? yeah. No, as, by as, all means, as, yep. Upper yep. class yep. and would mm-hmm. still arguably be funny in that context. Yeah, and so like part of me is 
I guess what I'm saying is like I don't read any of that as being homophobic or or even problematic in that area because it's I feel that in in making that argument you're literally saying that the only thing that's interesting about Devlin is his sexuality right Which doesn't I, even I, get brought up I don't think you'd make that point I mean he flirts with like a couple of people in there and both of them are men yeah. right so it gets brought up in that context but um but it's never like it's never outright stated first of all but also I feel that by going I you know he is presented by all these things and so therefore it's homophobic feels incredibly reductive to me and so when I'm saying things like you know imagine Devlin is exactly the same but he's straight would you have the same problems I'm like I'm genuinely curious about that because I think he would be uh, he would be written off as like no he's like he's an unpleasant posh twit which is the point of the character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and it, it wouldn't like you wouldn't be like well it's class warfare Do you what's know what I'm I, I, well, no, I see, I do see what you're saying, but I'm not trying to be sexually reductive per se, because I think that, I I think that there are elements, I just, it could be that what I'm used to is a very generic form of anti-hero, which may be part of the reason why 2000 AD wasn't always an, an a very easy call right out of the gate for me but like you know if you if you think about anti-hero culture in many ways coming out of things like say the spaghetti westerns and and what have you there's usually the the thing that's very charming about devlin is the fact that where most anti-heroes are essentially their personalities are stripped down to kind of more or less their drivenness, you know, and the fact yeah, that they are. I think you like what, anti-heroes who are cute and to the point. Uh, yeah, like to the point. Like I feel that 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 there's a lot of the purpose served by the anti-hero is, um, you know, I I mean to allow people in uh, reading their exploits feeling like, Oh, I'm reading something grittier and it's a little closer and it's a little darker. There's also a lot of things that happen again, very much. I I feel in the less satirical anti-hero side of things where, um, where, there are specific things that you do to code in your anti-hero as not a bad person, which is one of those like weirdo defining, like how do the, you know, do, do if they don't engage in rape, then they're the anti-hero, you know, but, and you can see where that plays out in various like Clint Eastwood movies where he's like, well, yeah, sure. But you can be really misogynist. Right. And you're like, yeah, no, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really land the right way like you you see to me there's and so it could well be that it's just the satirical aspects of devlin that are that i'm i'm taking far too seriously and i'm misreading as or that i'm reading incorrectly but in that just have jeff what's that i just have a laugh just have a coke and a smile like yes 
That's my. That's always my problem. I'm. That's what everyone says. Okay. I, I, can you hear what's going on outside? Uh, that's because there's uh, there's dance music playing outside our window because there is a bike ride with a bunch of leather daddies driving by on bicycles. So that this seems couldn't. Nap. It does right. A little on the nose, universe. Just a little on the nose. Um. Yeah. No. I. You know. So I. Maybe I'm just. Yeah. I'm reacting. Uh. Poorly to the satirical aspects, which may be a, a thing. It took me a long time to sort of a steady stream of dread to be able to get up to speed with a lot of that. But I, I don't know. Parts of the comments in this because I'm really curious to see. Uh, like, are we desensitized over here, or do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious where other people fall on this on this thing because. I like I I I guess what I keep coming back to is I can see like I see the um the unpleasant parts of Devlin's personality, sure. right? I see I see right. the quote problematic things. But because Devlin is at no point presented as like a good guy or anyone like or someone that we should aspire to be. I mean, I think he's purposely presented as being like really kind unpleasant all the yeah, way through yeah the absolutely no right. very much so yeah 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 but no i agree, so, I agree. like so fine like like i i feel i feel uh i almost feel like you're making an argument that like protagonists have to have a moral conduct no i I mean no i guess it's just depending on the level of who they are i can not but, but what particularly does that mean who they are what's that like what does that mean who they are like what? i mean that's I, a good I, question I, you know are you saying like a protagonist within like this form of adventure fiction or are you saying that like someone in you know again this is a very tropey story right? right you know specialist is called in to help clear out the the i keep wanting to say space prison underwater prison that is mm-hmm. full Aquatraz. of yeah, aqua aquatraz that is full of people who are becoming vampires, right? Like right. that's an incredibly tropey story. Mm-hmm. And are you like, you know, are you saying that when you're working within this level of trope, you expect something from the protagonist? Like no, I, I, th- th- like that's th- that's where I'm breaking down because I, I feel I don't like I genuinely don't understand the idea that like because Devlin is a shit that this story then becomes inherently homophobic, right? Especially because it's written by, a, like, okay, a gay writer. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm internalized. Do they not have internalized homophobia? I guess this is another question for, like, Pride Month. Did they, do they, is that, does that not exist anymore? Did we get rid of that or something? I guess what I'm saying is, like, why is, why is this an example of internalized homophobia, right? Like, I feel that's the connection that I'm not seeing. Right, right. I like you know Smith, in that, definitely had internalized homophobia. You just look at something like Straight Gate, and sure, it's sure. very, very clear that Smith, like on some level, has uh, anxiety. Maybe a bit strong, but definitely like he has his own demons surrounding what it was to be gay during the period. Yeah, yeah, right. 
Um, what I that's, okay, that's all I'm saying. That is that. Let's back it up to that. Apparently, I said it poorly. That's what I'm trying to say. That's kind of what I'm going but for. I, but I don't see how that comes across I, in the story, Jeff. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, that, that's kind of, that's where it's not. That's where I'm. I'm. I'm also kind of getting confused because I. Um, I can understand that with some of Smith's other work um, because it's very, uh, very. Um, text, if that makes sense. But with Devil Moi, it just seems kind of like a, a, a bizarre, uh, like it's a subversion. It's a campy... subversion of the tropes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like what? If, what if a shit is sent in to save the <laughs> people, right? And sure. like the shit playing with it is playing within certain, admittedly, like very British pop yeah. culture references, right? Like there's the mm-hmm. Terry Thomas of it all. There's you know there's. I feel that that it feels like Ramsey Campbell esque mm-hmm. in terms of like some of his horror more than more than King, like mm-hmm. you know I feel, I feel there's there's very particularly British references going on like there's the Rupert Murdoch fucking cameo in there, um, but I don't feel that I don't know I like I I feel like I'm missing a step I feel like like you're like well it's internalized homophobia. Uh, and it's coming out because of these tropes, and I'm like, yeah, but those tropes aren't inherently homophobic. <laughs> I I I personally think that there's something about uh, like the difference between space zombies and underwater vampires is just something that like it becomes easier for me anyway to be like, yeah, under underwater vampires have various sexual connotations and okay, not so, necessarily pleasant ones you know so uh so is it more of a um did going to put my 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 psychol- I'm sitting in my psychologist's armchair are you <laughs> Like, do you, it does. If the story makes you uncomfortable, do you think that uh, you're automatically wanting to to claim homophobia because they are gay stereotypes that um, you have been taught to feel uncomfortable about? Because, like, if especially if it's a a gay man, regardless of if he has uh, some sort of internalized homophobia. Um, writing these stories as a as a subversion of of the stories that were being written around him um mm-hmm. you know if, if it's if it's meant to be subversive if it's meant to lean into these these stereotypes that smith and his characters were quote unquote supposed to be as an out gay person in britain in the late 80s and early 90s then it's it's the same way that the the I, I'm wondering if it's the same sort of thing as people getting uncomfortable. Like I know I know some straight people who don't like it when I say the word queer, and I'm like, okay, but you first of all, you didn't call me a queer in a in a in a rude way, but also I'm calling it to myself. Mm-hmm. Who like why does that make you uncomfortable, and and why is that uh, something to have a large reaction about? I suppose. Like mm-hmm. where where I I guess I'm I'm trying to peg where I keep using the word peg, which also I know it's out. pretty great. <laughs> I have to say, but like I'm trying I'm trying to pin down. Um, pin like, down, you say? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to get to the bottom of this? <laughs> <laughs> on top of it, I. <laughs> oh man. I'm trying. Like I I am I'm trying to figure out like where um where this uh 
this this playfulness with gay stereotypes, particularly from a gay man, as a way to get around homophobia in comics in Britain in that period is eliciting a this is homophobic sort of feeling from you. Like, I find that really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't I don't think that I can pin it down any more than I have. Like, I just think there are times where I read this and I was like, uh, yeah, it just it 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 just did. I just yeah, it did not kind of in the, sort of in the same way that you said it could well be that there is a. Um, I just, you know, I just felt like, um, there's times where the, you read a story and you're like, oh, the meanness kind of, you know, is, is, is bracing, I suppose. And yeah, it just didn't, it didn't really, it didn't really work for me this, this time around, you know, like I have read some of Smith's other stuff, which I have tended to like within dread, you know, I like his dread stuff a lot. Um, yeah. Devil and Wild was just sort of like, yeah, okay, I'm going to read this. And I'm like, yeah, it, I, I mean, I just also thought that it wasn't necessarily a very good story. It had like a really great, idea and it had like some very nice scenes but it really kind of falls apart like if you if you i mean you know wa is brought in you know because of a precog flash so that he can in theory get there in time to prevent this thing that they've seen happening and then he more or less shows up and makes it a very uh emphatic point to do nothing for like huge swaths of time which i guess is sort of fine but then at a certain point well but no but i but i i have and i've read many a bad one and that's kind of what it feels like i guess it doesn't it just didn't i was like it just didn't it it feel it kind of felt like a a not a very satisfying story and then at that point i feel like you know, there are times where I think it makes it easier for me to not dwell on other aspects. If I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a ripping good yarn. But, you know, mainly I was okay, like, I wow, this... I, I, feel it's, I feel when you look at it in context of the other things that are being published in 2008 and other things, importantly, that are being popular in 2008 at the time. Like the other Dread stuff we've read from this era as well. Yeah, sure. Like, I, but... think it, I think it not only fits in with that stuff, I think it is a successful, like version of that i i think this is like i i don't see any reason why this should like be singled out in a way that again like this is miles better than the ennis stuff that's going on in dread at the time yeah but i mean i'm not reading the ennis stuff i'm reading this like you know I, yeah i i i yeah okay honestly part of me still stuck on i think i'm just dumb because i was like it's like underwater vampires they're like a dumb claustrophobic, you know, monster villain, and that's fun. And I yes. wasn't like the queer coding for homophobia. And I was like, am I just dumb? 
It's like, did I miss all of this? Because I'm just stupid. No, no, no. I'm sure I'm. I'm sure I'm. You know, uh, as as ever, reading too much into it. I and it could be that it's also. I think there's. I might just be dumb. Hmm. Eh. Huh. Um, eh. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just. The takeaway from this is I might be too dumb, uh, and therefore I'm enjoying this purely on a surface level. Mm-hmm. You know, that's possibility. I think I think on the I think this is a successful version of sort of a, a schlocky horror story. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think the Devlin's like a fun character to plug into that because he doesn't belong. And I honestly I think that him being a shit is what makes him a fun character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I I and what is what makes him a fun character in here in part because and this might just be my reading he feels like a particularly English character, not just a British character, an English character mm. from an era to drop into a story that is very American and of a different era, mm. right? There is a culture that is happening there and the collision of those cultures is is inherently entertaining to me. It's not mm. deep literature, but I also don't really want it to be deep literature, sure, right? Sure, yeah. Like, doesn't have to have a deeper meaning beyond, like, here's, m- m- like, muscular Terry Thomas beating up underwater vampires in, you know, what feels like it can and would have made it in 1986. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's enough for me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, especially when you've got the Sean Phillips art where it's Sean oh, Phillips so doing, like, pretty. painted artwork that simultaneously you can see the Sean Phillips of today in, but it's also, like, weirdly shinier, <laughs> you know? I, I yeah. There is a lot of highlighting happening, but it's it's like like Sean Phillips has has been like you know what is really big people sweating, and yeah. so I'm gonna give like muscle bound people sweating all the fucking way through this, which again works in this weird way because like again it's it's an English stereotype being dropped into an American story from like a half century later, you know, and it I, I like I I guess I'm. I feel like what I like about it and what works for me is either something that you're not seeing or something you're just utterly disinterested in. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I th- I, it does. It does. I, yeah, I think, I think there's weird. I'm surprised by the fact that it didn't work for me. Um, but yeah, as like, I was like, Oh, this is great. And very much out of the gate, like this is going to be terrific. And then as time went on, I was like, eh. and then, and then largely finished it with a, I don't think I like that. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of a shame, but yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you that the ending shit, but, uh, yeah. again, I offer also offer in evidence every other John Smith story ever. Yeah, John, John Smith, I think there's even a line in, in Thrill Power Overload where he more or less says, like, I get really into the ideas and then I forget I have to end the story. See, Because right. this basically ends with, like, someone driving a truck into the prison, yes! let's be honest. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. That's what makes it fun, damn it! Like, <laughs> no, but, just, no, but, but like, also, like in, I'm talking about it as, like, an adventure film, like, I, you know, a canon the film from 86, oh, it God. lacks the end scene. Yeah, I, I got that. Right? I picked that up. I got that. I also... <laughs> you know, I, I also... Did you just I, have the finger up? 
she just held the finger up like, I'm not done, which was hilarious. Well, then I was just thinking about how, like, oh, despite Smith being, like, a horrible, like, honestly kind of a right-wing twat uh, these days, uh, I, I I just connect with them all the more over that whole thing because that's me writing articles. I'm like, I'm so fucking excited to do this beep, boop, boop, and then I get about three quarters of the way through, I have to come up with the conclusion and go, ah. Here's a truck. <laughs> yeah. Just drive it into the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so, know, like, so I, Smith I, turn, I, I, is is kind of a right wing twat, huh? These days, uh, from what from what we have heard, uh, Smith has apparently um, gone down a, a right wing rabbit hole in recent years for for various personal reasons. But yes, well, so yeah, he, he he does not hold the best politics, right? Well, so this is interesting because I sort of one thing I found myself thinking about while reading. Devlin Wah was thinking a little bit about um, current day Morrissey. You know what I mean? Like, Wah's got a whole Terry Thomas thing that I'm not familiar with, but I'm like, yeah, it's the difference between young Morrissey and old Morrissey. Like, young Morrissey is, you know... (laughs) What's that? I said there's no difference between young Morrissey and old Morrissey. Well, and maybe there's not between young, young John Smith and old John Smith. You know, I know. Like... I, I I vehemently disagree about that. But uh, there, to be fair, and I I'm uh, I can tell you off of the podcast, Jeff. I'm not willing to air anybody's uh, personal uh, things over the podcast. But there are um, there are reasons why why John's politics have uh, changed over the mm-hmm. years, um, mm-hmm. and they have very uh, personal and very very um, very tragic roots. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, and, and there, there, uh, there, I... there are several several accounts from a lot of people that basically said that at a certain point uh, he really like went he downhill. Into... He, like he, I, I, yeah, he went. He he, he kind of like uh, went off the rails, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like I get what you're saying, Jeff. I I do, yeah. but I also don't think like the Mars analogy is is correct. You know. Uh, are, like arguably, you can make like a, a John Lydon analogy being closer, because I would say that Lydon has like oh, yeah. has pivot like has pivoted from left wing to right wing, mm-hmm. uh, in in ways that like I don't think Marcy has. I honestly think Marcy has has always like you can trace it all the way back to Marcy being like a little bit too in love with the glamour of the National Front, mm-hmm. you know, like all the way fucking back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't think that's that's analogous to what what happened to Smith, you know. Um, but also, so I you're would... so you're so you're saying that even though Smith has a has a a hero who is he has a protagonist. Sorry, he has a he has a protagonist that is kind of a. Um, a, a, a the very essence of a sort of gay conservatism um the fact that he then later manifests as a very gay conservative is different from when Morrissey has a an early um appreciation for the glamour of the national front and then later ends up moving yes, right Jeff. down to yes. fascist 
That that's exactly what I'm doing. Yes, because I think that if you look at the other things Smith was writing at the time and had written before and after, you will mm-hmm. see that that is not something that he himself reflects, and that he has characters that reflect very different points of view, and mm-hmm. personify very different points of view. And I think that with Marcy, there's a pretty fucking clear through line. Okay. Uh, and I think I like I see what you're saying, but I also think that that's a really fucking reductive argument because I think that like you're getting close to saying someone wrote a Lex Luthor comic, therefore, like well, I, wrote- I, no, 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 no. I think the more reductive part is kind of sort of sounds like you don't like Morrissey, and so therefore it was natural that he was going to end up being a shit, but you like John Smith, and therefore he must have had a terrible tragedy. <laughs> Dead <laughs> silence. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's where I'm trying not it's to, and, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm coming, like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm wrestling with how to respond, Jeff. I imagine. Uh, I'm wrestling with Hedges Bond for two reasons. One, I don't. I mean, I don't like Marcy. <laughs> like, I can right. I can tell you the list of Marcy songs I like on you know on the fingers of two fingers of one hand. But <laughs> like, I'm familiar enough with Marcy's work to know that like you can trace back elements of that like all the way fucking back, and that there's no real rejoinder. Right, you don't mm-hmm. get a counterpoint in Morrissey's work in the same way that you do get a counterpoint in Smith's work. But also, like I have, uh, I have testimony from people who, like, know Smith, who have talked about how there was a transformation. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I do think they're different things. Um, like I again, I appreciate what you're saying, but I think that like, like that argument is like just plain wrong Uh, it's well it should be it is definitely very ignorant because i don't have an i'm not i i don't know the behind the scenes stuff about smith i don't know i haven't even very readily uh very widely read about uh smith's other stuff so yeah no absolutely i just again it's sort of and i really appreciate that clarifying point that actually helps me a lot uh, I mean, there's something to be said, like somebody doesn't uh, doesn't immediately um, just kind of change their 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 politics. They don't do just a 180, you know, turn heel. So I'm sure that like you were saying with internalized homophobia earlier, or maybe he did have some wonky, like totally fucked political views that I mean, were that were that, that were cresting. You know, even when things like this were being written, maybe there is a scotch of that. But I think that. um I think I think what Graham is getting uh, in a bunch over is the uh, there that doesn't make uh, stories like this and what they stand for and their their contents in terms of uh, uh, in terms of morality and playfulness and and cultural. Uh, and historical importance, that's a good in terms of culture doesn't make them less important. Um, even if it's not necessarily in ways that reflect well now, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, Man, and... I wish the Big Dave was still in print. Then we could have talked about homophobic <laughs> shit. Right, Big Dave. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's true. I guess if you compare Devlin Wah to Big Dave, which I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, okay. Now I see what you're talking about, but yeah. I don't. Have I don't. you ever like? Have you ever seen even the legs of Big Dave? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, I read the, I've read the. Com- in theory, I think I've read the complete Big Dave. So yeah, it's oof. the gun that turns people gay. And oh, God, what happens with the portrayal of those people? I forgot about oh. that. When does that show up? Is that toward the end? The, the, it's the, I want to say it's the first uh, Big Dave story. Oh, maybe that's why I forgot about it. That they, that they, the, because uh, okay. I, I mean, it has the the uh, the context of Big Dave was literally written to be the most offensive thing possible, right? right. Like, like with that with that understanding, um, it achieves it in ways that I think that even those people responsible for it would actually regret today <laughs> yes i think so you know like there's there's bits in there that are meant to be funny and you look at them and you're just like oh holy shit it's a bit mm-hmm. much yeah 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 <sighs> anyway my my sorry i was i was thinking that i was kind of going around about way of being like if you think this is homophobic holy shit you should have seen what was being published elsewhere and was deemed acceptable <laughs> Right, so true, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is that is certainly um, sadly the case. Uh, I have a like. Part of me is like, I'm not sure we should do this again for another pride because last year we had a, well, because last year we had a similar conversation about Enigma. Did we? Was that last oh, year? We did. We're, we're basically you're like I don't know about Enigma. I think we're all, like I, I think Enigma is really problematic, and I think it might be slightly homophobic. Yeah, and me, similar, me, and me and Gloria are like, but it's not because of this, and you're like, I don't know. Like, well, it's just like maybe okay, maybe next year, like when we do it, like you should. We're just... gonna find the straightest comic. No, I'm just gonna say you should choose some like manga shit, right? Well, I, I mean, I also think I and I and and maybe maybe this might be the problem. Maybe next Pride we can talk about something that's not thirty years old, and so I'm out. There's... <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. okay, no shit. Do you know what she has read? Uh, like most of in the last week, what's A1, that? the anthology from thirty years ago. Wow, that's, like that's 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 like that's her wheelhouse. That's I'm reading a lot of new I'm, stuff I'm, I'm, just... I'm not like he doesn't speak for me <laughs> <laughs> we could have talked we could have talked the, the Tim Drake special oh god fuck <laughs> tell me uh... about that that sounds interesting I, I was I was joking I think I'm the only person who's actually read the Tim Drake special <laughs> was there a Tim Drake special is, are, is it it's, yeah, it's yeah. separate from is it part of like DC's pride stuff but not yeah, in the it's, DC it's Pride special. Like pride initiative. It's not in the Pride special, mm-hmm. right? It's because um, DC's like uh, uh, been running for a while now, like the thread of Tim Drake coming out, mm-hmm. um, and it was in the Batman Urban Legends anthology series, and they they put they put out a one shot, or they're putting out a one shot. I think it's out. It's either it's either just come out this past week or it's coming out this this upcoming week. And it's mm-hmm. a collection of all the scripts. And then they're launching a Tim Drake ongoing book. 
um, in September, I think. Um, because the kids, they they like Tim Drake. The kids, and they seem to like Tim Drake now that he's he's like dating Bernard. I think Bernard's his boyfriend's name. I can't remember. It's a supporting mm-hmm. character for the 1990 series, anyway. Um, Which is cute. It is cute, and honestly, like the Tim Drake, the stories in the special are cute. But for want of a better way of putting it, like they're only cute. Like mm-hmm. they're 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 not particularly exciting, and also they're so self-referential. That like if you're not a Tim Drake fan, that you'll just be like, okay, that's cute. But if you're a Tim Drake fan, I'm sure you fucking love it because so, it's like Tim has to struggle with like you know he's this person he went to high school with, but he has feelings for. Her. And then after he he resolves that, it's like Tim has to tell his ex girlfriend that he's bi. Like and you know, it's it's that level of self referential. Do you know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. when you're a fan of the character, it's great. Right, because all you want to read are Tim Drake stories, and now there's Tim Drake stories about Tim Drake. So, what mm-hmm. is it that you want otherwise? Uh, honestly, I'd want stories that were about something other than the past of that character. <laughs> You're like, like anything <laughs> other than Tim Drake. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, 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 no but, but but like it's literally like as someone who hasn't read like the Chuck Dixon series, mm-hmm. like I don't have any emotional attachment to these characters and. Honestly, the writing relies on you having a pre-existing relationship with these characters to have any real emotional resonance. Because otherwise, you get exposition of someone being like, I went to school with this person, and I think I like them. But they've been kidnapped. I've got to get them. I'm, and while I'm getting them, you know, it's it feels... I, I And on a talk about reductive, I will be reductive. Isn't that kind of the case with a lot of contemporary superhero it stories? Is. I was it about is. to say, I felt like no, Graham's but, describing, but... like... 80%. I'm, like, I'm describing the X-Men line, yeah. which is also a series. No, but it's also a series I have no particular interest in, yeah. right? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's fine if you're a fan of those things. It's great if you're a fan of those things. But if you're not a fan of those things, like, how do you get into it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, good superhero club. Like, I think Monkey Prince is a really good superhero Oh, club, that was so much fun. Right? And part of it is, it's... It makes an effort to go, this is what is interesting. This is why you should care. This is what mm-hmm. is fun. If you are mm-hmm. unfamiliar with these characters, this concept, here's enough invention. Here's enough like momentum. Here's enough fun, enjoyment to get you to come back. Mm-hmm. Right? And the Tim Drake book doesn't have that yet. Maybe it will now that it's going to be an ongoing series. Like Riley Rossmo is going to be the artist in the ongoing. And I think Riley Rossmo is a great artist. So you know, maybe they will add some like speed to it, some dynamism to it that will help. Mm-hmm. But as like this one shot is, it's a very like generic superhero book, mm-hmm. right? And so it, again, it's fun if you like that. If you like that character, you'll love it. If you don't, you'll be like, it's a very generic superhero book. I feel like that's the state of a lot of. Uh, uh caped comics right now though yes it is it is and it's just yeah. I, on a, I, I hate that I haven't been keeping up with um, a lot of uh, like Marvel and DC comics but honestly so many of them with very very few exceptions just seem uh, like a circle jerk when I start reading them and then I just get so fucking bored because I feel like I've uh, I feel like I've read a lot of the stories before Four. Yeah, yeah. And like, and here's the thing: while I can appreciate uh, a character coming out 
and all of that stuff. And while I think it's awesome that they're they're deciding to do this with these characters, man, it, I. It, there's okay, got to be so, more to it. Yeah, right? so th- here's my whole problem is if you're going to make these characters and they come out and like that is a, a, a focal point, that's fine. But God, they have to be able to do something beyond be gay. Like you have to add, add something to the story. But add, that's, um, that's what I'm saying. I feel, I feel this like doesn't. Yeah, like uh, honestly, even when, when Iceman first started, like that was... That was a good jumping off point for when they were trying to do that more. Mm-hmm. And then it just became dull because it was the same story over and it was just a continual coming out story. Or this has to happen, but I have to wrestle with the fact that I'm gay at the same time. And it's just like, man, we, we're, you're allowed to just <clears throat> do things. Well- <laughs> okay, a good counterpoint to this is the Crush Lobo series that yeah, started last year that's for, true. for last year's Pride Television oh, DC. I love that book. Right? Which is, it literally does not make a thing out of Crush being gay at all. It makes a thing out of the fact that, like, she basically feels rejected by her girlfriends in the middle of this story that she's going on, right? So she has two emotional journeys that she's on that interrelate and intersect and, and butt up against each other. But you know, that does something, yeah. But also, you have like the adventure story of like her dad basically conned her and escaped out of his jail and Mm -hmm. stuck her in the jail in the place, right? There's a plot there, and the emotional stuff feeds into it as opposed to the emotional stuff is the story. And I say that as like someone who likes emotional stuff being the story, but it has to be more than just letting the reader do all the work about the emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I think that, like, the Tim Drake book does. I think the X-Men books do. I think so much of it is based on... Like, do you remember um, when the Hickman X-Men stuff started? Um, and people made a big fucking deal out of the fact that... Uh, they share a room. Yeah, that, that Cyclops and Jean Grey and Wolverine were in a polycule, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a big deal for X-Fans. And it was never addressed in the comic. Like, also, it was never a thing. But also, for that matter, I um, like, yay for, you know, polyamorous representation, I guess. But also, who gives a fuck? No, but the thing is, like, it never played into the story at all well, in any but, way. In any way. But that's what I'm saying. Like, at that point, like, if it doesn't contribute to the story, who gives a flying fuck? The fans do, which is what I'm uh, saying. fuck the fans. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm saying, though, right? Like, you play to a fan base, and you can feed the fan base's desire for, like, their headcanon being filled or seeing themselves and their relationships in it. And that's great. Yeah. That genuinely is very important, right? And it's it's something that also enriches the fictional characters, in theory. Okay? Because the more you offer them some uh, specific identity beyond, like, a generic... You know, they're cis and straight and that's it. And, be, and because that's the norm. That's, the, you know, that's just where we start off and we never question it. Like, again, the more specificity you can add, the better for any character. But if you literally just drop that in and then let the fans do all the work and never do anything with it, then what's the point? Do you have any take on this, Jeff? Uh, the, you know, I, I, I think... Hmm. I think... There is a I, 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 well to to kind of parse things out. I definitely feel that a lot of 
the cape stuff these days for me hit kind of all of those points that you guys were talking about the idea of the treadmill you know where it's just sort of feels like oh it's the same kind of the same story over and over and over again the kind of you're pleasing the fans by doing like kind of the deep cuts you know and i like i feel like there's a lot in superhero comics that has a lot of well and i th- and i think sometimes with with depending on where you're at with the dc characters and the marvel characters i think it it's quite possible that after sort of the whole new 52 thing happened um the there was a lot of stuff around rebirth where a, a certain degree of the stories were look this is who this character is and we know who this character is and so you would get people telling superman what you know what superman means to them personally for example and and yeah. it was a good way to be like oh you know what like this is the writer letting us know that this is the Superman that they want to write about. And that's the Superman we want to read about. We're all kind of on the same page. There feels like times where, uh, like some of the issues of Tom Taylor's Nightwing or, um, some of the stuff with Superman where it kind of feels like I'm reading again, sort of the same, like each issue sort of being a slightly different, reiteration of that i suppose um so all of those things are things that have led me to to basically go down my path of manga which i i would like to joke and say you know is is me embracing my my inner 14 year old girl but the fact is i'm reading i'm reading romance comics that are written for teen boys that because of the culture feel it, it's a little harder to discern. And similarly, I'm also reading, you know, genuine romances written, you know, written for girls. And it's also very part of why perhaps my whole um, questioning nature about how much we can know or assume to know or what, really is going on maybe with authors and things is I've been reading a lot of manga that is shonen, which is to say that the audience is male, but the creators are female. And so there's a, there's a strange funhouse mirror effect that goes in there that I don't necessarily know for sure, but I spend time reading this being like, is it me or is the the focus of the the object of passion the object of desire in this book despite it being tons and tons and tons of women in their underwear falling around all over the place it's it's actually uh fixated on the male of the story is more or less the 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 hidden or not so hidden object of desire from the creator and not the audience. Um, And so that's kind of the stuff of where I'm at. And then similarly, and this may just be me being a total dick or, and, or me not getting it, but I'm not sure if 
if like how do i put it that maybe there is someone that you know a young polyamorous teen who can look at the oh wolverine and gene gray and cyclops are in a polycule and they're like that's super inspiring to them sort of in the way that you were kind of saying about Devlin Wah, where Devlin is is coded as gay, but the fact that they don't, you know, like you said, he, they literally don't talk about it. like it's not it's not the it's 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 all this it it can never really be explicitly said. Although maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect back in 1991, um, it it would have been very hard to for that to be something that was made said out loud and explicitly in, in 2000 AD. But, um, so, so part of me is kind of like, well, how is it? Like, I feel like there's, there are the, the silences in stories where they can't go. And that can be an area that is, that can be really interesting or it can be really interesting until Alan Moore starts writing stories about it. You know what I mean? And then it becomes just sort of tediously explicit or not, I guess you can tell this is me wrestling with my own ideas of how, 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 how far do we go to explore the characters and how much do they end up having more inner life if we leave it um unexpressed and 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 the flip side of that is the difficulty of mainstream media characters that are being owned by um big mass media that are more than happy like back when i was growing up queer baiting meant a very different thing than it means now which is remarkable to me you know, um, but queer baiting now is very much about the idea of teasing or presenting a uh, an invitation for fan headcanon and throwing a few, you know, sticks on the flame every once in a while to keep keep things kindled. But but the it's very important and very explicit. You know, it's very understood that you're that the corporations are never going to allow that degree of uh of follow through you know so um so i'm not i'm not really sure where i'm where i'm going with that big whole glob of things it just sort of seems like it's really interesting that we're sort of talking about the things that that x-men can't do except in these little you know coded ways that don't seem to add anything uh, as opposed to the little coded ways in Devlin Wa that, that, that may have, that were clearly super important for people or, you know, if nothing else, just flat out popular and appreciated at the time. But, um, you know, it, I just feel both odd with the idea of being like, Oh, this is, you know, kind of like, this is okay, this is not okay, as opposed to, you know, which I think what a very reductive way of what we're all saying, which which is more like, this is my jam, this is not my jam. 
I guess. Okay, and it I can be... say this and I will change the subject because there is something that I want to talk to you about that is unrelated to everything bright <laughs> before we finish. Okay. And we're over the two we're over the two hour mark. But I, I think there's a big difference between John Smith, a gay man, writing a gay character, and Brian Michael Bendis, a uh, straight man, uh, outing Iceman, or Hickman, who, to the best of my knowledge, isn't an apolicule, um, putting uh, Cyclops, Gene, and uh, Wolverine in an apolicule. If he was an apolicule, would it change that for you? Uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe it would, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Your move, oh. Hickman. <laughs> right. Come on. Jeff, that would be a hell of a Substack entry. Okay. So, yes. Yes. Uh, so, uh, you had a point to pivot to. Yes. Okay. And this is the last thing for the episode. Uh, did you see the Marvel news yesterday as we're recording? I don't know if this was even reported anywhere, but I know it was a press release that was sent out. Did you see Marvel's latest license? <laughs> It's so was funny because I felt there were three things that we could talk about, and I was I was like, I wonder if it's going to be this thing. And yes, yes, I did see it. And even I, even I, listeners, for those of you who are who do not know, uh, Marvel announced. Show. What's that? Yeah. Do you want me to read the press release? Please. June seventeenth, twenty twenty-two. Today, Marvel Entertainment announced the Planet of the Apes franchise is returning to Marvel Comics with all new stories starting in early twenty twenty-three. The wow. legendary science fiction franchise has spanned over five decades with media including comics, books, films, television series, video games, and toys. Marvel Comics and Planet of the Apes have a deep history that goes back over forty years. Marvel first pu- published Planet of the Apes stories in 1974, and in 1975, Marvel published Adventures on the Planet of the Apes, full-color adaptations of the iconic Planet of the Apes films. We're thrilled to welcome Planet of the Apes back to the House of Ideas, Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sabalski said. The new saga <laughs> in the pipeline is going to explore the limits of what this beloved franchise has to offer through bold comic storytelling, and we look forward to setting foot on this new adventure. Details on upcoming Planet of the Apes comic book titles, collections, reprints, and creative teams will be shared at a later date. Until then, fans can check out an all-new teaser by Salvador La Roca. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So many things. Um, <laughs> Jeff, I've got to ask first of all, who gives a shit? <laughs> Dude, I, I will be honest, not even Jeff. I mean, yeah, you know... I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think of a nicer thing, but like... And I know that Boom was publishing Planet of the Apes comics until really recently, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I must have missed the point where they sold well. <laughs> like, beyond the fact that, and also like, I know that Matt Reeves did the Planet, like the two Planet of the Apes films, and then before that, it was someone who wasn't Matt Reeves. I honestly don't remember who. Like, That's right. But you know, I know, I know there's that that recent trilogy. But you can't tell me the world has been asking for Planet of the Apes product like honestly and and okay thing number two i'm so glad that they're advertising it with a salvador la roca pin oh, um man especially because i i again i don't know if you saw it or not it's like the the 70s planet of the apes stuff it's not even the recent stuff oh yeah which which doesn't surprise me at all so which is just, holy shit marvel and okay. so i did have this moment of like why are you doing it and then i was like oh that's right disney owns planet of the apes now that's right 
Disney owns Planet of the Apes. I, I think it's a twofold thing. I think Disney owns Planet of the Apes, and I actually think that those dudes made more money off the Conan omnibuses than they thought they were going to. And so with them sort of more or less like, eh, we're not interested in the Conan, you know, licensed property, in part because they don't, you know, they don't, they don't, they had to pay a licensing thing for it. Yeah, they Planet of the Apes is like theirs. They have the classic material. They can turn it out in high-end omnibuy, despite the fact that, that Boom itself also published um, very high-end thick stuff. And and then, you know, and maybe milk it for a couple of, of franchises and, you know, and for lack of a better term, pump and dump. What's it that? feels shocking. Like, yeah. it, it feels as if it's the announcement of going, yeah, we don't fucking know either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's the Marvel announces does not know what to do with itself. I mean, I think I think Marvel does know what to do with itself. I think, like I said, I think that they were like, you know, these omnibi, omnibuses of Conan stuff really shows that the there's a bunch of 70s nerds for Marvel's alternate shit that they would be willing to pay through the nose through. And we can get that money. And if we don't have to kick it back to a licensor. So, I mean, I, I'm sure they were looking at if they had more than six issues of Logan's run, I'm sure they would be bringing that shit back. Well, actually, I'm not sure they didn't end up with Logan's run. I, I, don't, I don't think they own it. That's they? MGM. So I don't think that it was. But, you know, so, I mean, it's kind of like they've got the material. Why not? I mean, you know, you know, what's really funny. I was just like, did Boomy even put out collections of the original Marvel stuff? And they did. And I've just discovered it's available for free if you have Prime. Yeah, right, right. Because that's, I mean, because I, I, I did not. I paid a price less than free to get get them, you know. And there's some fun stuff. It'd be really hard for them to restore it or do it in a format. I think that would trump boom. Like, I mean, they're already skirting the issues. I'm sure. I don't know. The, the fact that neither of you care about Planet of the Apes is the only reason why I would say something so obvious. But just the fact in the press release that they make it sound like the Planet of the Apes black and white series and the black the Planet of the Apes color adaptations were two different things when they weren't. It was literally they just took the adaptations from the black and white magazines and put them in color and, and then reprinted them for the newsstand. Like that, I mean, they so barely have anything there. There's some lovely, lovely work from uh, Doug Mensch and Mike Plug. God, Mike Plug does some amazing Planet of the Apes art on the, because the Planet of the Apes magazine was broken into two pieces and featurettes. And the one piece was the adaptation of the movies and then the other piece were original stories that continued the adventures where where Doug Mensch was just like oh, I don't know let's have apes dressed like Davy Crockett you know where it's just like what in the name of God am I looking at and um, yeah so you know it's you look at that and it's like yeah it's it's a shameless money grab which is to say you know I mean that's I feel like that's Marvel's publishing plan these days, right? So, Which I mean, it's a 
Marvel isn't interested in doing uh, collections of its own classic material. It outsources that to other publishers. Right? So, I mean, th- there's there's so much stuff here that's weird and fucked up. But I, it would not surprise me if it, like I said, it's a quick cash grab. I could be wrong. It could be, there could be some additional level of like Jason Aaron being like, oh, I really want to, you know, now that we've got the plan of the H license, I got a, I got a great plan for it. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff you can. I, I can't wait for Jason Aaron to be announced as the writer of the ongoing plan of the Apes book. Yeah. You know. We'll see. Like, and it does... was great. And he's like, I'm doing King Planet of the Apes. That's <laughs> <laughs> my new ape, Pocahontas. No, wait, not again. Not again. No, Jason Aaron. I told you I wanted to do a Planet of the Apes Judge Dread crossover, right? I've talked about that on the air here right before. Yes, you have. Okay. Oh, so man. I'm like, Marvel, call me. You know, they're like, No, yes, Marvel, don't. Yeah. Marvel, don't publish anymore. Uh, I just. Fucking Don't do it. Fucking Planet Don't. of the Apes. Um, Jeff, Jeff, I'm calling it. It's it's we're we're two hours and a quarter, and I'm calling it. It's I'm okay. pulling the plug. My goodness. Um, My goodness. I know we, we've we've talked. We've talked about Storm. Thank you to our guest, Chloe. Oh, to say something. Yeah. <laughs> the best part is she's actually here with me in person, and I was like visually cueing her to speak. Yeah, pointing like go. <laughs> You do it. <laughs> Chloe, do you have anything that you um, want to tell the listeners about? Things things that you want to, um, you know, talk up? Like any 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 convention appearances, perhaps, or things? Oh, well, well, you see, I <laughs> <laughs> I am I am going to be at San Diego Comic Con, but for the dumbest reason. And that is that I applied under the Neotext review after the review had gone under, and they approved wow. it anyway because I put it on a fake letterhead. And now the review is going to be at San Diego Comic Con, except it's not the review, it's just me. And if you want to be friends, we can do that too, because I'm just going to be hanging out. Whereas I'm going to be doing panels. Thanks That's very nice much. For you. I'm going to try and interview a bunch of people and call it work and it will be great. And, that's that. But anyway, I keep joking that the, the Neotext review keeps dying, but things keep happening to keep it alive on accident. So we're the untreatable wart of comics journalism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, between that and Grant Morrison's praise, I think you're really working up what's going to be a lovely uh, launching press package for for when, oh, for no, when it comes back. Like, yeah, going to... Uh, it's, good, com- it's coming back. It's coming It's coming back eventually. I had a good meeting last week, so just keep your fingers crossed, I guess. But otherwise, I don't have anything interesting to plug. I'm uh, pretty what, funny sometimes. Watch your Twitter account. <laughs> tell people where they can find uh, you on Twitter. It's, it's at Punk Rock Mom Jeans, except the C in rock is missing. Uh, Jeff is at Lazy Bastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D and I am at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M uh, and this is the part where I say to Jeff that he should get ready because I'm about to tell the listeners there were a Patreon supported podcast and Jeff Lester the 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 soloist with the moloist is going to tell you about <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Graham. I wish we'd had more time to talk before the podcast. I, I actually, thank goodness, had that moloist removed. 
uh, people were a little worried that it was um, it was it was it was going it was going it, it was it was asymmetrical. It was asymmetrical, so that's actually kind of a worry. Depending on the sh- the the shape of the moloist, it's a, it's, it's got you got to have a regular shape, and also is looking a little discolored. So um, uh, I'm but... I'm not going to ruin everything everywhere all at once for you, Jeff. But I'm going to say this: um, there is a Randy Newman appearance where you least expect it, and it is my favorite joke that I've seen in anything in a long time. And that's wow, that's the... fabulous. That is great. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited by that. Thank you, everyone. Oh, but before I get there, um, so I feel like Chloe, uh, so uh, apologies, but like, <laughs> Chloe, you also have a newsletter. Like, Gramps got a newsletter, and you, you also have a newsletter, oh, right? Oh, God, I she, do. Yeah, Chloe has a Patreon. I'm really yeah. bad at this. I'm sorry. I do That's have okay. a Patreon. And it's, uh, it's honestly, it's, it's patreon.com slash punk rock mom jeans again with the C missing, because honestly I slipped up and just didn't fix it. And, uh, thank you. And, um, it's binge cringed and unhinged and everything, uh, all of the nonsense that you have heard here can also be read in letters form. (laughs) Which very enjoyably so. Read in letters form. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And, and of course, Graham, you, 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 of course, you and I have the Patreon, but you also have your own newsletter still going on, yep. which is I, lovely. Yep. Uh, except they didn't do it yesterday because I was, um, I was sad. Um, you can find that at Get Review. That's R E V U E, because of course it is. Dot co forward slash profile forward slash comics FYI. Comics FYI. Fabulous. And, Listeners, thank you. I I feel I feel like we have moved through strange and stormy seas in this episode, and I am incredibly grateful to Chloe and Graham for, um, you know, for 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 in, indulging in the troublesome weird talk uh, that I tend to you bring out. Ins- <laughs> Sorry, what's that, Chloe? <laughs> Which one of us is being insufferable? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, if nothing else, maybe it's an insufferable trifecta. Let the listeners decide. Anyway, I what? find it. I was just throwing under the bus there. Oh, totally, Graham. Yeah, no, 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 no. absolutely. Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry. I mean, I figured oh, that you on. would move actually on. want to move be on. thrown under the bus than just having me and Chloe, you know, talk about the fact that. We're both self-conscious about who the who might be the most insufferable one. So I I thought in a spirit of bonhomie, I would bring us all under the un- insufferable dome, uh, which sounds like a terrible Stephen King novel. Um, and uh, but but I understand. I appreciate you backing out of that. Grant. Understandably, Jeff, we still have not talked about the Patreon yet. <laughs> Ah, the Graham is a harsh taskmaster. Uh, I think that's a bad Robert Heinlein novel, as I recall. Anyway, listeners, you're excellent and wonderful. You put up with us through good times and bad times and sad times, uh, of which one could argue that this episode in its own way was all of the above. Uh, We appreciate that. We also appreciate the fine folks, the fine unfettered folks at Patreon for throwing us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh as well as their time and attention. It really makes 
a ton of difference um, and has led to some pretty spectacular results, such as Drock, which we referenced many times during this episode, our monthly read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, and before it, Baxter Building, the read-through of uh, the first 416 issues of Fantastic Four, and which people will occasionally ping me on Twitter, uh, expecting me to have opinions about the Fantastic Four, uh, that apart from my really ridiculously sad erotic fan fiction i don't really have much opinions about the ff anymore so but if you catch us uh in our our patreon prime you can you can hear those episodes directly uh as a result of your largesse um we would like to thank you. Also want to give a huge shout out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continued support of this podcast. And, uh, you know, it may not feel like it, but she actually is watching over our little neck of the celestial realm. And we appreciate it. Graham, Chloe, back to you. Uh, I want to say that people might have expected two things. One, us to do an episode last week, and we didn't. And we also, Jeff, you and I didn't do the... Uh, episode that we said we were going to do if we weren't doing an episode last week where we were going to do a super short one where we we're going to guess each other's comics we totally right. spaced the time I'm genuinely sorry it, it's just been nuts lately and almost all of that falls on my shoulders I genuinely wholeheartedly apologise um, but also people might have expected this episode to be dropped because normally we do a wait what, a drop and a wait what every month uh-huh. it's not, next week is dropped and we are doing case files, which is my way of saying I don't remember. It's 36, right? I think case so. Also, um, yeah. It is the one that has um, dread aliens in it, and so therefore Incubus. I'm Incubus. Incubus. Um, and it's got other stories, but really it's got dread aliens, and, and that's honestly probably all I'm going to be talking about. But that's next week uh, we're going to be doing that. Otherwise, um, Jeff, is there anything you want to say before I sing us out? I I think not. Other than Chloe, thank you once again. Wow. (laughs) Just wow. 